Hey nerds, welcome to episode 542 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, all by myself today. Uh, I've got a very fun interview for you guys. If you have been listening since at least the fall, you may remember that I had an interview back then with Christina Henry, who is a horror writer, uh, who, uh, when we were talking about in the fall, was her book, The Ghost Tree. And she is back with a new book uh, that is out now called uh, Near the Bone, which is just a super, super creepy, very intense book uh, about some very eerie happenings that uh, occur on a mountain. Uh, We dive all into it, getting kind of dancing around the plot in a way that we don't give away too much, um, but also get into the various aspects of the characters that she built out. Um, One of the things that we get into a lot is the concept in horror where uh, we tend to really focus on the villains and the murderers and the evil characters uh, because and you know what that means to us and how we feel uh, there are ways to approach that and, from a different standpoint. Um, yet we also get into how she says that she tends to write characters as opposed to plots and, and what that means for her books. But um, no, we just, uh, she and I are very similar people and uh, this is now the second time we've spoke and it's uh, it's been delightful both times we, we get off very, very well. So I'm sure she will be back. And in fact, at the end of the book, we talk about something that she's working on for this uh, later this year that um, I imagine I'll be seeing if she wants to come back on the podcast for. So if you are um, a horror fan, I think you will really, really enjoy this this book and also this conversation of trigger warnings for um, spousal abuse and, and violence towards women. Um, it's not celebrated in any way, but it is important to the plot and it's, um, it can be pretty brutal. So I just wanted to let you know about that in, in advance, if that's something that um, you try to stay away from, totally understand. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us here at the podcast, Jill and I, you can always reach us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Uh, you can send us uh, tweets and Instagram messages at probooknerds. Um, and you can just go to professionalbookfriends.com. That's where you'll find all of our old uh, episodes as well. And I want to thank everybody who sent us messages about our episode on Thursday, which we titled Authors Behaving Badly and got into some of the drama of the literary world. You all seem to really, really enjoy that. And uh, uh, I really appreciate you guys giving us thoughtful feedback and being so appreciative of the episode we did. So I'm sure we'll probably do more of those. Um, if you missed that, that's uh, that's episode 541, Authors Behaving Badly. Um, and also, later this week, you'll get our May book preview. So a whole bunch of good stuff going on. But for right now, I'm going to let you get to the conversation I had with Christina Henry, author of Near the Bone on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. <laughs> I want to talk about Near the Bone, but first, before yeah. we start... Is that an Iron Giant poster behind your shoulder? It sure is. Oh my God. That makes me so happy. We are so <laughs> simpatico. Like just, <laughs> I was, I went back and I was listening to our conversation from the fall just because I was like, I was like, I don't want to ask her like the same question over and over if I asked her before. And I was just laughing. I was like, wow, I feel like we had like a very similar upbringing and like the things we enjoyed. And then I was just looking and I was like, oh my God, I, I could see the feet. And I was like, I think that's what it is. It um, is. Yes, oh, Superman. A Superman. Oh, <laughs> and if you time. don't cry when he every says that, time. you have to. <laughs> oh. Oof, magoof. Okay, so let's talk about near the bone. Um, like I said, literally, I made the horrible mistake, and I started recording, and I'll piece together an <laughs> intro from all of this. Um, no, I made the horrible mistake of finishing it last night at like nine thirty or ten. I don't know. I feel like I had to because we joked last time when we talked about the ghost tree that that story is like peeling back an onion i think i made the shrek joke where it's like there's layers to that story (laughs) and near the bone it's almost like from page one you're like let's go this is the stuff that's happening so i do you want to maybe give our our listeners an introduction to the book because much like with the ghost tree i don't want to be the person to give away too much of the plot so i will let you say as much as you want about it and then i'll ask you my questions (laughs) yeah i mean it is a little challenging because with the ghost tree obviously and with near the bone especially with near the bone there's like a 
pretty big mystery kind of at the core of the mm-hmm. the story and you talk about the layers peeling away and a lot of that has to do with the main character's memory yeah uh, or lack thereof um and mm-hmm. so yeah so at the beginning of the story maddie is a woman who lives in a on a mountain with her husband, William, and they are the only two people who live there. And the only thing she remembers really is living with William, like Mm -hmm. her whole life in this isolated place. And one day she goes out to check the traps um, for rabbits and she finds a dead fox in the woods and she realizes like there's something else in the woods. because I have an obsession with creepy things in the woods. Um, <laughs> no, this, I don't think anyone who uh, has read your collective works will be too surprised by that. <laughs> I, was like, I, I really, I'm starting to look back at my books and I'm like, like every other book, I'm, sometimes every single book, there's something in the woods. I, I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> the woods just to me inherently feel like a place where mysterious things can happen um and like woods can also be magical in the way that they are when you're a young kid and there's this sense of possibility kind of mm-hmm. you know around every corner you might discover something yeah um so yeah so that's sort of the setup and then um i'm not giving too much away there is something yeah. in the woods mm-hmm. that is not human um, but it turns out there are also uh, some humans in the woods, and Maddie has never seen mm-hmm. another person for more than a decade. So that's also becomes a problem in an unexpected way. Yeah, I, that's probably as much as people need to know about the plot. Like, I don't know, you write these books where it is, it's like, it's so funny because we always start our episodes with like having the author talk about the book. But I appreciate you being like, I don't know if I should tell anymore because I feel like your books... Like you don't want you want people to kind of go almost go on blind um and just be like listen buckle up (laughs) stuff's about to happen (laughs) but um no but you're right about the woods like I and I think we might have talked about this last time how we kind of grew up uh, around the same time and it's like growing up in like the 80s and 90s especially with no like cell phone and stuff like one of the places you could just be a kid and be sort of free is I our parents were very trusting in the sense of like, all right, go have fun, come back for dinner. And one of the places we went was the woods. And it was, it was like, it's quiet, it's eerie. And depending on what time of day it is, it's extremely creepy. And so like the concept of having something out there and not being able to see it, and maybe you can hear it or to a better, uh, maybe a better way to describe it is something that the way Maddie does, it's like, you can just sort of sense it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it has this like, on top of all the other doom and dread that happens in this book, it leaves like a, an atmosphere of like something horrible. It could always be right around the corner. Yeah. I have this, I, if you're a kid who grew up in the woods, like me, like you probably have a very strong sense memory. Like if you even think about the woods, like you can, Mm -hmm. it's like, you can smell the loam, you can smell the trees, like Mm -hmm. just in your memory, you know, and there's a very strange way that sound travels through the woods mm-hmm. where something very close could sound like it's far away or vice versa. Um, you know, it, it just has the, it's this sort of like the quality of the trees and like the objects around you. Mm-hmm. And there's always something moving when mm-hmm. you're in the woods. There's always like a little squirrel, a chipmunk, mm-hmm. a field mouse, something sort of scurrying. So there's just mm-hmm. a sense of like, this constant motion and yeah, this sort of constant watching because something mm-hmm. probably is watching you, even if it's yeah. only chipmunk, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, you also told me last time that every story that you write sort of starts with an image in your head. Mm-hmm. Was that sort of like, what was, I guess, what was the image for this one? Was it sort of like being in the woods or was there something specific that jumped out at you that helped you percolate on this one? Um, for this one, it was actually... Um, one of Maddie's first memories that she has in the book it's um, I'm pretty sure it's in the first chapter and she has she thinks it's a dream Mm -hmm. of herself dancing with another girl little girl to a song and she um, doesn't 
really know who this girl is mm-hmm. um and her husband says that person doesn't exist that it's just a dream yeah. and that was the first thing that I saw and you know the when I write a book I'm usually trying to figure things out myself so it's like well who is this girl and like why does she have this dream or memory or whatever it is and so then I start writing the book so that I can figure that out and then the Mm -hmm. next thing that I saw was the dead fox in the snow yeah um when we stopped recording I want to ask you about that other girl because I don't want to give anything away and sorry (laughs) you're not going to get to be in the inside baseball aspect of our conversation but I'm curious um speaking of Maddie's husband we learned quite quickly like very quickly that he is a garbage person oh yeah Um, are you able having written so many stories now to detach yourself from when a person does horrible things especially the horrible things he does are you able to like remove yourself from that or is it still is that challenging to write I'm being vague because he again like I don't want to give too much away about him but just suffice to say for listeners he's not a good human like is it is it hard to write those types of characters for you I mean it's hard in one sense Mm -hmm. um but in another sense it's hard because you you have to put yourself in the mindset of the protagonist so Mm -hmm. like you have to to a certain extent feel what she feels yeah um in order to like and in a way because of because maddie is after a lot of years started to protect herself psychologically in a way that helps you as a writer too because you're a little bit insulated Mm -hmm. also um but i think too there that when I choose to write a character like that, I ha- I feel strongly that I have to commit to it and that I can't soften it. You know, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I have to be um, as real as possible about mm-hmm. what he does. Um, so I-, I think sometimes there's a temptation to back away if you're uncomfortable and I have to make myself mm-hmm. stay there and you know, and work through that discomfort. Yeah. And, and you did say a, a thing that I love that you did here is you focus the, the, the lens is through Maddie's eyes and through her experiences and not on her admittedly various tormentors. Cause it's not just her husband. Um, there's also like, as you mentioned, this overhanging thing in the woods. Um, and I love that you, and I do love that you focused on her and said, I feel like so often, one of the things that I always feel gross about in horror and in true crime and, and everything that I know that is very buzzy is people love focusing on like serial killers and their mindset. And I always just get extremely pissed off because I'm like, all you're doing is giving them the attention they wanted even after they're dead. Like, so I was that something that you actively were like, okay, no, I'm going to focus on Maddie as the, the person who you see this story through. Did that, did that sort of help maybe? I don't want, like you said, I don't want to say soften because it's yeah. definitely not soften, but like as a writer, maybe like get to get through that process of writing those parts. I mean, in many ways, um, writing Maddie was like writing Alice um, because, you know, they're, they've both been victims. Mm-hmm. And the important thing for me when I was writing Alice was to focus on the survival story. Mm-hmm. And that's, really true with Maddie like the important thing here is her you know it's not about how he feels or how he justifies what he does or anything it's about um her and what she's going through and um how she processes everything that happens in the story um to get through it and that that choice is not difficult to make Mm -hmm. um because to me it's important to tell like survivor stories you know it's not important to tell um the stories of bad people <laughs> like there's plenty of that out there yeah i i don't know i just like i said it's something that i think a lot about like i have and i don't 
fault people who are interested in true crime and true crime documentaries. Like I don't fault them. I have a lot of friends who are obsessed with all of that. And to me, I just always feel like I need to shower or like, I just feel gross. Cause I'm like, I don't, I understand that it's important for certain people in society, like police officers or detectives to understand the mindset of a serial killer. But it's almost like when you see like a mass murder or like a shooting event and they're like, well, we're going to publish this, you know, terrorists uh, manifesto. I'm like, don't it's, that's what you're like. Tell me the story of the people who, who died or who survived, you know, and I don't know. I, this isn't even a question. This is just me. Like I was so happy that it's Maddie who we focus on as opposed to her just dumpster fire of a, of a, of a husband. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's sort of like the difference between the silence of the lambs and Hannibal, right? The book that, Mm -hmm. that Tom Harris wrote after. So silence of the lambs is about Clarice Starling, right? Mm -hmm. It's about, the police officer, I mean, Hannibal Lecter is part of the story, but he's not the story. It's about her and it's about mm-hmm. her investigation and her struggles. And then like you could very clearly see this transition in Thomas Harris's mind where he became fascinated himself with his own mm-hmm. serial killer. And the sequel is really about the killer. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the popularity of like, there was a TV show, right? Hannibal, mm-hmm. or think about even the popularity of something like The Sopranos. Like yeah. The Sopranos is about a huge, ter- like hugely terrible person, mm-hmm. you know, who is never redeemed. Yeah. In any way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but people are, I think, very fascinated by human beings that have no constraints of morality. Mm-hmm. You know, I do think that there is a fascination there because it's very hard if you're just an ordinary person to think about living in such an untethered way. Mm-hmm. Just think about like if you had no constraints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose I, I know what you mean. Like when thinking about it that way, it makes sense like to envision like what would you do? Um, but yeah, like, like you said, like with Hannibal, and I do think that's why Silence of the Lambs is such a powerful story because it focuses on Clarice for his, yeah, like, and obviously there's a lasting interest in Hannibal. I always just am always like, okay, yes, it, it's fun to think about this man who's an intellectual and who listens to classical music and is good at chess, but like at the end of the day, he's still eating people. Like, right. <laughs> he's still a monster, you know? <laughs> I, and it's the same thing with, I, I don't know, I feel like slasher movies I don't want to say it's different but it's almost like these things are like supernatural like to bring it back to your book like near the bone like there is a monster in the woods that we Mm -hmm. won't talk about too much and then there is a monster who lives with Maddie Mm -hmm. and I can almost understand the actions of the monster in the woods and it I you do a thing and I'm not going to give it away but you do a thing at the end like there's a subtle nod at the end of the book that it almost is like this is why the monster is doing what it's doing and it, I, I can understand that because it's a monster that we never really meet and explore right. too much. Like we don't get in the monsters that we don't know the monster's <laughs> psyche, but the monster she lives with, the human being, he's the one where I'm like, I don't actually want to know what's going on in his head. Cause he, like, again, I'm not a detective, so I don't know. I, this is me, but right. Yeah. Right. I mean, and there was like a very to me there's something very frightening about the unknowable and the thing about William is that even though Maddie's been with him for so long in a very real sense he is unknowable to mm-hmm. her um not just his background or what he did before he met her or anything just like at the core of his personality mm-hmm. he is unknowable to her yeah um because the kind of person who would do the things that he does is not the kind of person that Maddie is or that most people are, you know? <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> so, um, but you're right. Like when you talk about like slasher films, mm-hmm. because the thing about pretty much every slasher film is mm-hmm. that if you look at like all these great horror franchises, the first film is always about the people who are fighting 
the monster. And mm-hmm. then as the series goes on, it's really just about the monster. Like we become fascinated by the monster, right? Mm-hmm. We want to just want to see Freddy Krueger. We don't care about the people who are trying to survive the night. Right. You know, we don't care about the people who like Jason is killing. We don't care about the, you know, yeah. the, we, we care about the monster. We're fascinated by the monster. Mm-hmm. And again, like, I just think it goes back to this idea that we're sort of very, you know, in like a real kind of like looking into the eyes of the Cobra way, mm-hmm. you know, we're fascinated by something that has no constraints, something that mm-hmm. could hurt you, you know, but you have the safety of, fiction to process that i want to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor which is our friends from fast growing trees listen guys life sometimes gives us lemons but if you have fast growing trees you can at least get those lemons uh, from your own backyard that's not even in the copy they sent i just really uh enjoy the fact that i have a lemon tree now (laughs) it's a joke i've been thinking about uh you know for a while here fast growing trees is just it's such a wonderful concept. Uh, you, know, you might have upgraded a few things around the house after being stuck inside for over a year at this point. I um, mean, that makes sense. Um, but maybe you want to explore ways that you can turn your yard into a paradise. And that's where Fast Growing Trees comes in. Uh, fastgrowingtrees.com is where you can go to discover the world's largest online nursery. You don't have to worry about you know going to a a, a, a nursery or a store you know, around you and digging through live cluster selections and getting your cars all messy. Just go to fastgrowingtrees.com and you can choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, and plants. They're expertly curated to thrive in your area and delivered to your door in one or two days. Seriously, their website is so cool. The thing that I love about it is you can put your location and it kind of tells you your growing zone. And so it's only going to show you plants and shrubs and trees that are going to thrive where you live. Um, I am someone who has always struggled to be able to grow things, but this removes all of those aspects. And it also, when they send you the stuff, it's already, you know, well on its way to becoming a thriving plant or tree or shrub. And so they've done the kind of hard parts of like germinating and worrying about all those beginning processes where you're never really sure what you're going to get. Now, whether you're looking for shade, privacy, fruit trees, or just want to add some color to your yard, every plant is shipped with a well-developed root system. So it's ready to explode with new growth, uh, with new growth. Honestly, like I said, I, I don't even have a yard. And I still love fast growing trees because you get things that if you uh, have, you know, indoor space at all, or maybe you have a porch or a patio, you you can get things like avocados, lemons, and bananas that are ready to grow in those areas where you might not have a lot of space as well. It's it's what I did. And it was really, really exciting for me. So they have a 30 day alive and thrive guarantee, which means your plants will arrive happy, healthy, and ready for planting. And if you want to get ready for this growing season now through June 30th, go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash PBN for 15% off. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash PBN, fastgrowingtrees.com slash PBN. To me anyway, the, the reason that, and I, th- I think of like, when I think of Slash Rooms, especially, I think of like the big three of Freddie, Jason, and Michael Myers. And to me, I think the reason that they hit in pop culture so much and in my own brain is a I, I'm able to separate them to me all three of them are supernatural even right. though maybe they're not but like there's different reasons like so for um for Jason and Michael Myers to me like they never talk they you never get a chance to understand their psyche you never get a chance you don't know why they're doing well I mean I guess sort of you know why they're both doing it to an extent but um like you never really like you get their view, but it's really just to do the like the sound effect and, and like the this you you get the various soundtracks with both of them. But that's really like the only thing we get. And obviously in the opening of Halloween, you know the the scene in through his eyes. But like one of the greatest uh, scenes oh. in a film anywhere, by the way, one of my favorites. So like, good. Um, not to get sidetracked, but I'm great at doing that. Yeah. Um, the Ringer 
Uh.com did a oral history, I think like two years ago on that movie. And they did like they did like a whole two episodes just on that like opening three minutes. It's amazing. Um, but like the opposite of that, it, like we never get to know what's going on with them. And like the opposite with Freddie is like everyone loves Freddie because he's quippy and he's funny. And like, but at the same time, like he's still supernatural. So it's like, okay, well, I can remove myself from all these horrible things he's doing because he's a demon from hell or wherever, you know, whatever he is, where it's like, okay, I can sort of accept what's happening and, and embrace that um yeah my I guess this is all just boiling down to like I've never I don't like watching movies or reading you know reading too much about people that I could imagine being real life killers which is why I just abhor William so much <laughs> <laughs> and I and I want you to I mean, yeah. I oh, you, yeah. you know the, when I write the book I want you to not like this character <laughs> oh i'm just uh, yeah if you get even one piece of like reader mail with like i thought you know more about william you should send that to like the authorities (laughs) well i'm sure i mean you'd be i'm surprised i think sometimes by the 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 i mean i really um going back to another one of my books i really like walked the line i think when i wrote hatcher Mm-hmm. because Hatcher is definitely on the verge of being a very bad person. Yeah. Um, I think he's redeemed only because he sort of fundamentally does what he does in defense of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a killer. Yeah. And he's like, he's right on the edge. And I get so many people who are like, I love him so much. <laughs> like, well, okay. Like, I'm glad. <laughs> and he is like, he is a tormented character. And you know a little bit more about him and why he does what he does. But when it comes down to it, like, this is not a guy you would want to date. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's very, very true. Um, you told me last time we spoke that you love being surprised by your own writing as you go. And it's one of the reasons why you like the first draft so much. Mm-hmm. Um, what surprised you about this story while you were crafting it? Oh my gosh, so much. Yeah, <laughs> I had, I did not have a lot. I don't usually have a lot going in. Mm-hmm. And I would say in a certain sense that I had even, in a certain sense, I had a lot less than I normally do. And in a certain sense, I had more. Mm-hmm. There was one key thing about Maddie that I knew from the get-go which is sort of the big reveal in the the story so I knew I was kind of trying to find a way to build towards that but Mm -hmm. I didn't actually know I guess um the exact mechanisms of how it had happened Mm -hmm. and um I that was a surprise to me kind of as I went through and um a lot of what unfolds with the three mysterious characters that arrive on the mountain. Like, I didn't know anything about that, like Mm -hmm. who they were or who they were going to be to Maddie or how their story would unfold. I mean, there was, there was a lot I didn't know about this book. So it was definitely like um, a journey of exploration, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes I'm very surprised at how together the draft is when I'm done, because I really don't know where it's going. <laughs> um, but I think that because I spend more time kind of letting the story simmer, like on the back burner, mm-hmm. um, it comes out more fully formed than I expect a lot of times. Yeah uh without giving anything away did you know what time like what time in history you wanted this book to be set in as you started writing it is that a does that make sense as a question no one else is what I'm saying it does make sense um this is actually a point of contention um with my (laughs) editor when I wrote it because Mm -hmm. she was very concerned that people wouldn't know when the book was set and I was like but I want you to feel that way right <laughs> yeah um because it I think it adds to the unbalanced feeling at the beginning of the the book that Maddie has and then you, the reader has it too yeah um like this feeling of not being very certain about your place in the world and the reader's not certain mm-hmm. either 
And uh, yes, I did know um, Mm -hmm. when it was going to be set, but I definitely wanted you to have a feeling of not being sure about that Mm -hmm. when you started. Yeah. Um, There is a a movie I will not mention because that would help. I think that would give away. I'll, we can talk about that. We're done recording. Too, but there's a there's a movie that came out of a long time ago at this point that does a similar thing, and I remember. Like, and we may have even talked about it last time. I don't remember, but um, I think I know what movie you're talking. I'm guessing about. you probably do. I'm like psychically sensing what movie yeah. you're talking well, like, about. Like I, yeah, like I said, I think before we started recording, I think you and I are simpatico in a lot of things. Um, there's also there's this there's this moment of zen sort of that I want to just talk about for a second there's two characters and in the midst of all of this tension and horror and just throwing stuff at the reader nonstop, there's this moment that involves having a grilled cheese sandwich yeah and I just loved it so much because it is it's like this book is one of those ones we might like for the ghost tree I think I might have even joked about it with you like Though that was like a build up and then like take a breath and build up and like take a breath and like this there's like no taking a breath in this book until there's this one moment almost before like the climax where it's like you get to the top of a roller coaster before you drop like did you know that was coming as you were writing it because having this moment where like your characters can sort of joke about just like the simplicity of a grilled cheese sandwich like can you just maybe walk me through like putting that scene together Part of it was, um, yeah, like to have like a little bit of downtime because it is, once this book starts rolling, it really like rolls. Like there's like one thing and then the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Like it doesn't really, there's not a lot of pausing. And so, yeah, you do want to have like a little moment where you can come down, but also um, it ends up being very emotionally significant for maddie Mm -hmm. um just the fact of this sandwich and um like everything that it kind of represents and the the feelings that it brings up and Mm -hmm. i think too like because i know i really lingered when i was writing it on sort of like the smell of it and the feel of it and like the way it looked and you know again like it's like talking about the woods and like your sense of memory of the woods like I can almost imagine every great grilled cheese in which I've ever yeah. eaten you know when you're reading that or you know or when I was writing it mm-hmm. like I can actually right now it's like I can see it I can smell it you know you know what it is I it's we're for people who are listening we're recording this early in the morning and I haven't eaten breakfast I'm like literally salivating <laughs> thinking about it because you're absolutely right but like no I think something you do so wonderfully are these other sensory aspects of the story um my dog is behind me and he's unsure See about him. what's going on in the morning or what's going on outside um no these sensory aspects of the story of like you know we talked a lot early on in our conversation about the woods and how like you can have this feeling of someone watching you, but it can also feel extremely claustrophobic, even though it's so wide open. And I, much like you, like I can remember the smell of the woods. I still at like, I think so fondly of like the smells of like apple and like hay and like farms, because I think of the fall. Like, I, I know exactly what you mean. It's like the grilled cheese thing. I do think it really helps set like this visceral reaction that, she has where she's like oh my god I thinking back like I think it helps set the stage for the like kind of final things that are about to happen and I don't know it was like I said it was like almost like a moment of zen where I was just like it also again for the first time in like 200 pages gave me a chance to take a (laughs) breath like yeah like you can take a break and go get a cup of tea and like (laughs) put the book down for five minutes uh I literally I was we were joking you literally the last two nights is I it was my fault I knew what the book was about and I was still like I think I'll read this between eight and like 11 o'clock at night past two nights I'm such a fool um I to shift a little bit did I see on your website that you're writing a headless horseman story yes and it'll be out in the fall that's a good time for it um yeah 
I can't not talk about that a little bit because that's my personal like favorite short story of all time. So um, can you preview it a little bit? Um, yeah, it's in some sense, it's um, it's a little more like Lost Boy where it's like a more direct sequel per se um, to the original story. So it's about um, Brom and Katrina's grandchild. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, uh, guess what? There's something in the woods. You, <laughs> no I way. know you'll be shocked to discover this. <laughs> There's something in the woods. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, is, there, is there a bridge to the woods, perhaps? There, there is a bridge, although it doesn't play so much in my version mm-hmm. of the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... Um, it's also like a lot of my books it's really also about other things and <laughs> what it seems to be about um, but um, I hope that I hope that people like it because it I grew up like I said in upstate New York mm-hmm. and um, Washington Irving stories were really a part of my childhood in a very mm-hmm. very strong way like I remember my dad telling me the story of Rip Van Winkle like during a thunderstorm Mm -hmm. you know so um I just remember growing up with Washington Irving and um the every year on Halloween um we always watched the Legend of Sleepy Hollow the Disney cartoon yeah you know you know me and my dad mm-hmm. and the you know it's just to me and it, I still watch it every year with my son you know mm-hmm. like it's not Halloween unless you watch it yeah <laughs> I I uh there's there's like a little quick I don't know why this is a thing that sticks out on you when he eats the hard-boiled egg and he mm-hmm. like dumps like a pile of salt on it yeah the pepper yeah yeah I, I don't know why this sticks out like I have <laughs> Like, that's the one scene I, like, remember. Mo- like, not the Headless Horseman throwing the pumpkin at him and, like, none of that. The the egg. I don't know why. It's, like, one of those weird things that sticks in my brain. Um, but I do see, like, there's also, to kind of connect near the bone and, and the Headless Horseman, like, there's definitely sort of, like, a Jaws aspect of this with the monster where it's, like, build up and then, like, little tiny reveals of it. And I, I do think that helps... Um, especially with near the bone where there's kind of two monsters one that we see all the time and then one that we we sort of don't see yeah and i it's funny that you say that because joss is my favorite movie um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i feel like that information will not be a surprise to you um but yeah it's for sure because i think that fundamentally like monsters are just more interesting when you know you don't see them like mm-hmm. I wanted you to have this sense all the time of never really getting a good look at it yeah you know and just have you know there's a lot of times where Maddie sees some aspect of it mm-hmm. but, you know it's like she never really sees the whole thing yeah and that lets you as the reader fill in a lot of space you can yeah. really like create something in your imagination about you know what you think it might be or I mean I, I imagine that everybody who reads this book is going to picture something completely different mm-hmm. well it's like I mean it's like the movie the prestige talks about it's like people are going to like beg you to tell them what the monster looks like and then the moment you do they're going to stop caring and it's like I I don't know to me I'm glad I, the way that it was like a build-up like Jaws with this I was just to me that was perfect I was like yeah this is exactly what I wanted from it um well, I think we last time we did our nerd nine questions that we usually ask every author, I think. So instead of going through those again, because a lot of them are like, where do you want to travel? And we and last time we talked was when we still couldn't travel. Um, I will just ask, have you what's a really great book you've read in the last couple of months? And what's a really great like horror movie you've watched? Um, so, gosh, what have I got now? I've got to think about what I've read in the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. The most recent book I read, it was really good, but like, I think you have to be a certain kind of nerd to like this, but I read Kill Switch by Adam Gentleson, which is about the history of the filibuster in the Senate. Um, (laughs) That is a certain kind of nerd, and I am that nerd, so that's amazing. Um, It was really good. Oh, actually, you know what? 
book again it's also nonfiction, but this book was great it was um a libertarian walks into a bear and now i've forgotten offhand the the author which makes me feel terrible but it's a nonfiction book mm-hmm. about the freetown project in new hampshire which yeah. was like suppose like a bunch of libertarians decided to make it like this libertarian utopia mm-hmm. and with almost predictable results like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's nonfiction, and it reads like fiction because there's just this insane cast of characters mm-hmm. um of people that come into this town and they also have a huge bear problem yeah um which at least partially stems from their libertarian ideals mm-hmm. <laughs> um things like not having garbage pickup <laughs> that's a that's a, a weird how bears would be uh who would, would be flocked to that. that's an interesting thing um yeah no it's it was great like it was so compelling mm-hmm. just because the whole time you're going what what they did what <laughs> oh, that's amazing um how about uh like have you watched any horror or it could be really any type of movie um i mean obviously like a lack of new movies has been a problem mm-hmm. um it's uh I'm trying to think about what i might have I, th- I do feel like because there hasn't been a ton of new movies, I've been looking forward so much to um, the new Candyman film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like crazed to watch that. Yeah. Um, but um, it's stuff I've been rewatching. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but like I've become pretty much since it came out completely obsessed with Jordan Peele's Us. I just love that movie. And I can't quite put my finger on like what it is I love about it. Obviously the plot is great, but Mm -hmm. I think it's a very beautiful, sort of darkly beautiful movie visually. Yeah. And um, the, I don't know, I'm assuming you've seen it. I have, yeah. 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 And um, I don't know. I love Lupita Nyong'o. I think she's oh, amazing, incredible. and I love Winston Duke. Like, I just want to hug him. Like every time. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the the pas de deux scene at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. I literally think when I saw it on the big screen, it actually took my breath away. I was like, yeah. I just sometimes when you're watching a movie, there's something very you know visually beautiful and then Mm -hmm. like the music and the just like sort of hits you the right way and every time I watch that scene I'm like god why is this so gorgeous to me but it just is um and most people don't usually think of a scene where one character is trying to stab another character as beautiful but that's what it is the way he shot that scene is so um just so incredibly powerful Mm -hmm. um yeah, I've been rewatching a lot of stuff. I rewatched yeah. Candyman, rewatched us, um, have rewatched like a bunch of um, Korean movies. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I just, yeah. Um, I will. So there's a show and it's on Apple TV. So I, I know that there's like a barrier with you have to like, I feel like you have to qualify any show now. Like it's on this streaming network because. Yeah what you know we all cut the cord and now we all have 19 streaming services which is basically the same as paying cable but um it's a different conversation there's this show called servant and it's created by i'm not Shemon. have you seen this i have not watched the show yet but i do have apple tv and i okay. know the show that you're talking about it yeah. is so for people who have apple tv and who are looking for kind of like a creepy weird thing it's very m night Shyamalan in the sense that every episode i think is like a half hour 40 minutes and i've only watched like the f- half of the first season so far but basically there's this very well-off husband and wife in i think philadelphia and um, of course because it's a Shyamalan film exactly and And, um they have there's they have a child a young child and I'm going to give nothing away because there's a moment in the first episode where you're like Jesus Christ and then like you learn what the reveal is 
Um, but they have, they bring in a kind of like a nanny type of a person to help them out around the house. And there's like mysterious dark things about her and every one of the characters is just like a little bit crazy in their own way. And like, she is a um, newscaster in Philadelphia and he is a kind of like a very fancy, like culinary, like whiz kid. Like he does cooking for like the Philadelphia Eagles and he is like a foodie, like massive blogger. And he does all stuff at home. So he's always home. Um, but like, there's just every episode, it's almost like watching a horror soap opera. Like every episode, something happens where you're just like, this is absurd, but really fun. And um, Rupert Grint is in it randomly as an American. And like, he's kind of like this like drunken lawyer brother-in-law and he's just like, he lets the perfect amount of delightfulness. But like, if you're looking for something that is, because I'm bad at watching TV, like short and horror and creepy and like the perfect amount of M. Night Shyamalan where you like, enjoy a thing but then roll your eyes at the end of it yeah every episode it's very and I think there's two seasons now so like there's just enough where you can kind of enjoy it without being overwhelmed with what you have to watch yeah I'm also bad at watching tv which is like I just but weirdly like I will watch k-dramas so like they're always (laughs) like there's 16 episodes and each one's like an hour and a half long but like I'm also completely fine with like watching a few episodes and then like not watching it for a few months and then going back to it and watching it again but I just am not really like a tv watcher and part of it is because it's like I can't commit Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I, they are so freaking similar on so many things. This is so funny. But exactly. that's why I watch a little more movies because like a movie is like a you know, it's a date, you know, mm-hmm. and like a TV show is like a marriage. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, not only that, like the a movie, unless it's because there's gonna be a sequel, it's like, okay, even if I sit here for two hours, it's gonna tell me the story and then right. I'm going to be able to move on from that story. Um unless it's the Snyder cut of the Justice League and it's four hours and it makes you want to die a little bit. Oh, you know what I watched? It was not a horror movie, but it was quite fun. Um, Save Yourselves. I haven't seen that one. It was an indie movie that came out and I just watched it a month or two ago. And it was about this like very, uh, you know, sort of comically stereotypical like Brooklyn hipster couple whose like lives revolve around their devices mm-hmm. and they decide that they're gonna like disconnect they're gonna you know go away for a week to like this cabin in upstate New York and they're going to like really get to know each other again and yeah. you know not be on their phones and all this stuff and while they're there there's an alien invasion and they don't know about it because they're disconnected (laughs) they're completely disconnected um that's amazing I really enjoyed it it was it was really fun um it's low budget and the aliens are like these little poofs that look almost like tribbles Mm -hmm. um and it's it was quite quite fun so if you're looking for something it's so I'm the kind of person who normally goes to see a new movie every week. So mm-hmm. like this lack of new movies has really been yeah. a problem for me. Um, I will say, and then I will wrap us up, I promise. But um, there's a movie called 12 Hour Shift, which was directed by Bria Grant, who is one of the co-hosts of the Reading Glasses podcast, who is kind of like our quite literally sister podcast. We do stuff with them all the time. Uh, she directed it and it is all about these nurses who work at a hospital and they basically like kill patients who are going to die anyway and then harvest their organs oh my gosh and it's like freaking delightful and um like Mick Foley is randomly in it the guy who played who is like mankind as a wrestler and um, David Arquette's in it for like nine minutes it's and it's delightful and it is it's like a perfect combination of like horror and comedy and so I recommend that's on that's on Hulu so um it's a good one David Arquette the Scream movies I have watched all the Scream movies like I just I love those movies yeah and I wish that people realized now how completely revolutionary they were when they yeah. out. There's like, nothing like them. Like every movie now, every horror movie, I think to a certain extent, is a little conscious of its place in the canon. And it's not unusual to have these sort of self-referential mm-hmm. kind of comedic moments in these horror movies. 
but when Scream came out, nothing had done that. Yeah. You know, like they just that kind of movie didn't really exist, and that was such um, such an amazing thing to have this really a horror film that sort of took its horror seriously and at the same time was aware of its place like as a horror film and mm-hmm. the horror tropes and I don't know I just I love that's a film that I love re-watching yeah I just love going back to over and over again it's delightful um okay to wrap up to finish <laughs> this where we started with near the bone um what do you hope readers take away from reading the book um I mean, it's always hard, but I hope that, I mean, I hope that people are scared, you know, I, you know, that they're kind of, or at least that they feel the suspense of the book. Mm -hmm. And I hope that people get invested in Maddie's emotional story, because I think that's really the core of the, of the book. I always, Mm -hmm. I tend to write characters and not plots. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I hope that people in the end, I hope uh, I hope the end brings a little tear to your eye. <laughs> it definitely did for me. Well, Christina, I loved the book so, so much. And knowing that you have one coming out in the fall makes me feel like we'll be talking again for that as well. But once again, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.